That intro sounds so snazzy in person. It's Dominic Kearns here with Aaron Blau and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. You know, I, I'm not there with you guys in person today, but uh, I'm there in spirit. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was an exciting match last night, you know. So it's it's uh, it's great to be here, and I'm just ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic match. Really enjoy, uh, Really enjoyed being able to sit and watch it in my own house, drinking my own booze. However, uh, not super exciting on the actual field itself, in my in my personal opinion. But we'll definitely be getting into that as we hit the match recap. It was a Sam Allardyce masterpiece. Not too much going on, though. You're right. So um, let's, before we begin, uh, thank our sponsor, the Arizona Sports Complex, uh, located by the 17 and the 101. Um, they have leagues, not just for soccer, but all sports and for all ages. They have two beautiful indoor fields um, for soccer, for lacrosse, other things too. So get up there, let them know the Rising of One podcast sent you, and you will receive a discount on annual membership. So what are your first thoughts on Sacramento Zero, Phoenix Rising Zero? I'll kick us off. I mean, it, I think I said it last week. I think considering the opponent and in, in going to Sacramento, it's always been a very difficult place to play for us. I will have to say, it seemed like the atmosphere was so lacking last night, though. It didn't seem like those Sacramento fans were were uh, quite as excited. I think it we'll say is very unfortunate to lose Jason Johnson so early on. I really think he could have been the difference in this match. Um, just a few situations where I think if he's on the ball, the ball ends up in the back of the net, the Jose Aguinaga header specifically, I think JJ scores that. Um, but I, I mean, it was a good match to go there. and. To yeah, we're having a little bit of, <clears throat> Kyle, we're having a little bit of internet connectivity with you. Uh, so, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll kick in here and we'll look see that this gets just a little bit better because we haven't seen this yet. Um, but, you know, ultimately what we're talking about, <clears throat> what you had mentioned the first thing was, it was the atmosphere really on there? And I, I have to admit, I agree with you on that case. It, it didn't seem, it seemed like Phoenix Rising was able to effectively pull what's usually a really well, uh, really well-founded uh, attendance, really pull them out of the match. Uh, by the second half, they were not nearly as loud as they w they they normally are, and we were able to uh, you know sort of neutralize some of their excitement as they were uh, their some of their excitement and support. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard that Sacramento Republic has been increasing the season ticket prices pretty consistently, and their prices are well above what we uh, have to pay down in Phoenix. So maybe that contributes to some people getting squeezed out. I know their attendance numbers aren't going up um, like some places because they started so high with that dynamic 2014 season, but um, it was interesting. You would expect more of an atmosphere there, and it it just didn't seem that way. And maybe that was some of it was our play, shutting their attack down and them getting frustrated after the offside. Yeah, really what it comes down to is two very evenly matched teams. Uh, and we'll discuss some of the statistics a little bit later but two very evenly matched teams with almost similar play styles, 
really nullifying any of the excitement that could have been had. Uh, th there certainly was some excitement, and, and the first minute, the first two minutes actually, had a scoring chance for both of the two games, or bo both of the two teams. But let's go ahead and, and uh, talk about the, the lineup and what we saw actually come out on the field for Phoenix Rising. Not too much of a surprise uh, with Zach Lubin retaining his, his uh, position in goal. Uh, Mustafa Dembaya, off of some good play, uh, continues to play. Our team Ironman, Amadou Dia, and A.J. Cochran also along the back line. But <clears throat> a name and a face that we haven't seen since the opening, uh, opening minutes of the season, and that was Duigi Mala joining them on the back line. Kyle, any thoughts on Duigi Mala and, and uh, how he worked into this back line here? Yeah, I mean, when I saw his name, you know, on on the starting eleven, it was a bit of a surprise to me, an eyebrow raiser. But I I do think that he's probably worked his way back into Rick Schantz's favor in training, and I think his it, this was a good opportunity to get Mala in against a very solid physical team that is Sacramento. I think that he plays well against those kinds of opponents. Um, so I think this was a good showing for him, and all in all, you know, to give Joey Farrell the rest and to get Mala some minutes, I think this was a great choice by Shantz. Yeah, the Mala was the only surprise for me. Um, when I was doing the predictions, I had all the other 10 guys correct. It was just Duigi Mala was the one that surprised me, but I thought he played very well yesterday. He made several key tackles, won some headers. Um, I mean, not perfect, but he did very well, all things considered. And I know Rick Schantz has been saying that he's the most improved player for them this season. After a performance like last night, it's hard to disagree. Yeah, and uh, I don't know why I didn't see this earlier uh, with Joey Farrell going down. having a, He had, a, uh, had to take some stitches after colliding with A.J. Cochran in the last match. He did come off in that match uh, as well. So, you know, not a huge surprise, but if we would have thought about it a little bit more, we definitely could have pre predicted that. Uh, rounding out the midfield, we, uh, the defensive midfield, we had Kevon Lambert and Colin Fernandez. Nice to say, see them uh, paired up against, again. Uh, and then the attacking midfielders, we had Jose Aguinagua, Junior Flemings, and Solomon Asante. No surprise there whatsoever. But maybe a little bit more of a surprise, Jason Johnson. Uh, with a healthy Adam John, tip, uh, now on, healthy and rested Adam John, Sitting on the bench, maybe Jason Johnson won the starting role uh, over John. Dom, was this a surprise for you at all? It sounds like you had actually predicted this. Um, it wasn't a surprise. I was thinking that John would get rested one more week because I was thinking, all right, maybe he's healthy enough to be on the roster sheet, but they want to give him one more week so that he's 100% for Orange County. Maybe last night he was only 80, 85% and they were expecting to bring him on as a sub. Obviously, that doesn't happen because Johnson goes down in the 10th minute. And, you know, they were saying on the broadcast they weren't mentioning John's name as much as usual. Maybe that's because he was still nursing those back spasms a bit. Maybe because he had to do a lot of work off the ball. Um, but I, I wasn't surprised by him not starting. And rounding out our substitutes, we had Carl Wazinski, James Musa, Devin Vega, Joey Calistri, Adam John, Ben Spencer, and uh, a sort of historic, uh, a, a historic call-up. The first time we had a League One call-up into a USL Championship match, Austin Ledbetter. Kyle, what was your thoughts in terms of uh, this this sort of relationship? Actually, uh, we're seeing some of this call-up action going on between FC Tucson and Phoenix Rising. 
I mean, it, it's great to see um, for the development of soccer here within the state of Arizona and just within the USL between League One and the championship. Uh, I mean, it's it's so nice to be able to bring up a player like that when we know that, you know, Joey Farrell was dealing with a bit of a knock from last week. So to bring up a player in his position to move, to fill in for him on the bench and he eventually got his debut. I mean, it's so exciting. And I really think that this, you know, this shouldn't be, you know, a rare occasion. This should be a, a norm in the USL championship that players, you know, that are affiliated with championship clubs from league one are able to move up and to get their opportunity at the top level. Cause I mean, it's the way that they're going to develop and, you know, become great in their own right. So I think it's, it's a great move and I hope to see more of it. I know Ledbetter has been a standout in Tucson so far. And though our defense has been very solid, there will be times throughout the season where we're going to rely on that Tucson roster. So I think this is, you know, just a great start and hopefully this becomes more and more uh, common. And of course, really important to, to, uh, to note, Austin Ledbetter is a 23-year-old player. He's actually he actually had two seasons with St. Louis, so he's played at the USL uh, the top le- top USL level. But I think this really demonstrates what League One is supposed to be. Maybe Austin Ledbetter shouldn't have been in, at at the top level, at the Division Two level at that time, uh, when he was age 21 and age 22. If he would have had two years in League in League One at that point, maybe he would be up here full time at the USL championship level. So good to see Ledbetter be able to move uh, back and forth, be a good team player, and have some contribution that we'll talk about a little bit later in the match. Yeah, and that that's a great point, Aaron. Another player that, that I think of when it comes to that type of talk is um, Cody Wakasa. He didn't have the strongest moments for, for rising in the, cha- in the USL championship, but I think in Tucson, I think that's the right fit for him, and he can really work on, you know, some of the small parts of his game and, you know, earn a, earn an opportunity again at the first team. It's a really great point because he was sort of taken, you know, out of the flame and, or out of the frying pan and, and straight into the fire coming out of, I believe, Santa Clara University, went basically straight to, you know, a, a highly performing pro-level team, got some minutes, but was quickly replaced, you know, as the team uh, had some loan, uh, loan players and uh, some other competition there. So, if he would have had two more two years at the League One level, as opposed to getting put straight into the Phoenix Rising lineup uh, for the season opener in 2017, you know, would would he be up here now? Would he had more time to develop? So yeah, really good example you just brought up with Lucasa. And he's a Cal Poly slow alum, so go Mustangs. Cal Poly, not Santa Clara. Yeah, yes, not a you. not a Santa Clara Bronco. Ah, <clears throat> uh, excellent. Cal Small Poly. California schools. Yes, there's so many of them I can't keep track. Um, but let's get into the match itself. Uh, early on, you got to like the start of this match before Johnson goes down. We had pretty good possession. Um, did the Colin Fernandez header come before Johnson went down? So uh, uh, in the 11th minute, that was the Jose Aguinaga header uh, okay. off of the Asante cross. Uh, Asante is able to get free, as we've seen him be able to do in, in prior matches. Like you said, there was some flow in that first 15 minutes, and that was noted by the the announcers, uh, 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 Devin Kerr and Tyler Terrence, who promptly just totally screwed us by, uh, um, by jinxing us. But Asante had a nice cross over to the Aguinaga. Uh, Aguinaga, which, who was more on the front post there, uh, puts a header right in the hands of Josh Cohn. Uh, would have been nice if it would have gone back post, but I think that would have been a hard angle regardless. Yeah, I mean, 
Oh, go for it. Come I was on. just gonna say, I think I think for a player of Aguinaga's quality, I I haven't seen him bang in too many headers, but I think if if JJ's there and gets that opportunity, I think Johnson scores that nine out of ten times. So for me, I think it really hurt us to not have Jason Johnson in that situation. I just I think his he's been so clinical with his head this season that I think if he gets gets the chance to knock that header in, I think he goes to the left and gets that past Cohen. Yeah, Aguinaga did have a lot of time. Uh, where he was, he pushed up front. He didn't really totally play that 10 role. Um, everything sort of changed, in, in my opinion, in about the 15th, 16th minute. I think r- right as, as it was heading up to um, a, an offside play, which really uh, helped out the Phoenix Rising plans. In the, in the 17th minute, Tyler Blackwood uh, was able to receive a rebound uh, that came off of uh, Zach Lubin, ball, ball was played from uh, about the top of the 18, eight, the 18, ricocheted off of Lubin's hands, fell at the, the feet of Blackwood, who put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, I was in shock and dismay until I thought to myself, oh, he was really offside. <laughs> what were you thinking there, Dom? I wasn't even thinking about offside until the announcer said it, and uh, once that happened, I'm like, Okay, good. Because I really wasn't even looking at, at Tyler Blackwood there. I was just thinking, well, that's a shot that should have been caught. There shouldn't have been a rebound there. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of nice to, if you're a goalie in that situation, to like get a reprieve there. But also you learn a lesson, like don't give any more of those opportunities. And the rest of the match he did much better at collecting balls or if he couldn't collect it, punching it far away so there wouldn't be those rebound chances. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dominic. I think it was early in the match, and I mean, it, it was definitely our luckiest moment because, you know, if that if that does go in, we're talking about a completely different result. So I think very fortunate. For me, it, it did appear offsides, but I mean, it, crazier things have happened. We've seen offsides get called in for goals, but, you know, it was... It was, you know, a very weird run of play, as you said. It takes a shot, and, and Lubin, you know, deflects it, and it bounces right to Blackwood's feet. And Very disappointing if it would have gone in, but, you know, we were fortunate. And uh, I actually was at Tim Finnegan's for the first half last night, and, I, I mean, everyone in the bar was, you know, going crazy when that goal got called offside. So it was exciting for us, you know, to be able to get a good call our way uh, early on in the match. And I do want to back up uh, because in that 11th-minute header for Aguinagua, Jason Johnson had come off. He had just come off uh, in the 11th minute in favor of Adam John. Um, And, you know, maybe it's at that point where there's a little bit of a turn there where the game plan that you had with Jason Johnson uh, just gets totally blown up by having to to put in Adam John, uh, who who, uh, hasn't seen a ton of minutes in the past few matches. Yeah. Uh, so off to the 25th minute, where we have a, uh, a not a defensive lapse necessarily, but almost an example of proper defensive play. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a little bit of a difficult, uh, a difficult call for me, uh, where we have Ray Sari, who's playing in the defensive midfielder position for Sacramento Republic, has the ball sort of uh, in, in between the half mark and the 18-yard line, puts up a cross into the box that it makes the head of Bonomo, the uh, mid, uh, Republic midfielder. Bonomo's on the far the far post, gets his head on the ball, and the ball falls right across 
Zach Lubin's line. When you saw that ball coming over and you saw Bonomo, who had a little bit of space there, what were you thinking, Dom? That's a goal. That has to be a goal. <laughs> I don't know how that missed. <laughs> I mean, really, like, I guess in a way it kind of felt like justice because when Aginaga had that header, I was thinking, that has to be a goal. How is that not a goal? And so, um, you know, one that should have gone in, another one that should have gone in, kind of evens things out. So I was definitely feeling relieved. Yeah, and that uh, Kevon Lambert was in somewhat of a position on that uh, on that play, uh, but he was a little bit behind the player uh, as the ball was headed. Zach Lubin was in decent position to receive the ball. So I kind of understand, um, and, and it was Sam Warner, not, not Bonomo, but um, I, I kind of understand Warner's idea to, to play that more of a cross because he did have a player who would, who seemed like they were making a run uh, to the back post in that case, and the ball just like, fell fallow and rolled out of bounds, and I felt a lot better after that ball exited the field. Yeah, just very fortunate right there. You know, it's was, it was a good opportunity um, for for Sacramento, but I, I think, you know, the defense was alert, and, uh, you know, we were, like you said, very lucky, and once we saw the ball go out, we didn't have to worry about that attack anymore. So it, I think that was definitely one of the early opportunities for Sacramento that on another night, you know, it, uh, it definitely could have hurt us. And in a theme of not particularly fantastic possession uh, in between about the 15th and the 40th minute, uh, the ball just keeps bouncing around uh, with our, our next and final real scoring chance in the first half coming in the 40th minute. Junior Flemings uh, takes the ball from the left side, seems to try try to repeat the footwork that he had against Tacoma uh, and tries to play a ball into the back post. This time, instead of going low, he goes high, and Josh Cohen makes a really fine save on a ball that might have been going in, might have been uh, going off the crossbar. It was going to go. I'm pretty sure it was going to go in because it got deflected a little bit, so it was going to dip in. That's just my opinion. It looked like it was pretty good. Yeah. So he, this this sort of gives us a little bit, little sign of hope and gives the team a little bit more energy as they're heading in, into the half. And there was even, I want to say there was even a half chance from um, – from Solomon Asante that didn't miss by too much. Um, and he could have done better with that. I mean, just in general, thoughts on the first half, I felt like the Sacramento press was doing a good job disrupting our passing, but we were also doing a good job making key interceptions before they could really get into the, our attacking third, and we weren't making those really bad giveaways. Like in past weeks, where, okay, maybe it's a defensive midfield back pass that gets intercepted and all of a sudden you have a three-on-two break. We were not making those mistakes yesterday. If we were losing it, it was maybe like on their side of the pitch or near the mid-midfield and we had good numbers back. So that's actually something very encouraging to see. Um, and I, I just have to, you know, give a shout-out to some of those midfielders, um, to Lambert and Fernandez. Um, and the center backs for, like, making some of those key interceptions, reading the pass as well, because there were numerous occasions where they were disrupting Sacramento um, like they were disrupting us. So I know some people were frustrated, but you also have to give credit to us for uh, stopping their attacks. 
Uh, what were your thoughts as we were heading in the half? Yeah, I mean, Dominic brings up a great point. It felt like in that first half, um, Rising had a lot to be positive of. And we had, you know, going into halftime, I felt as if, you know, maybe there was a goal for us to be had in this match. It still looked like we had been, you know, the better offensive team. I believe we led in possession at halftime as well. So it was, you know, it was really positive for us, very motivating. And I think, I think that it was... One of those nights that Dominic was right. We weren't really giving up in our midfield. We were maybe lacking on that final ball in, in their third half of the field or third transitional part. But I think I think overall, Cochran, for me, he stepped up huge last night and was, you know, intercepting passes near midfield like Dominic talked about and, and then to help out, you know, Fernandez and um, Lambert, I think that's just huge and I think this is the chemistry we're finally starting to see come together with our defensive midfield and back line. I've been encouraged by Dumboya too. I think Dumboya the last two matches has stepped up and totally last true. night last night not only with uh getting forward but last night was more of a match where he had to really contribute as a defender and he did so. He made some interceptions. He made some key tackles. Um we weren't really seeing that in the preseason and the early season. So I mean shout out to him too because he has really improved his play. So I did check some stats uh around halftime uh as I was watching, I mean, the teams, again, like I mentioned earlier in our show, they were really evenly matched. And, and Phoenix did have a slight possession advantage, but we're talking about 53% to 47%. we are not talking about a huge advantage uh, in terms of number of shots. And all the defensive statistics, all the offensive statistics were really, really even. And I think the theme of this match, if I were going to put one word on this match, it was disruption. And I think both teams did a good job of disrupting, uh, disrupting the rhythm of the other squad, which really made it, to be honest with you, not the most fun game to watch because there was no flow. Each team just was able to uh, get, a go- get a little bit of a knock on that pass that was crossing through midfield or just, put, just disrupt the patterns that were going on just slightly. Uh, and that, that theme pretty much stayed steady throughout the entire second half. Uh, there was very few notes that I had for the second half. It just seemed like more of the same, where uh, there might have been a minute or two where you saw something pretty happen, but for the most part, we didn't see any flow to the match because neither team would allow uh, would allow it. So, yeah, it, it was kind of an interesting match for me in that regard. It's, it's kind of like, like one of those old-school like Steelers-Ravens football games in the 2000s, like where both defenses are just playing really well and kind of like disrupting the offenses and like not like a super thrilling like 38 to 37 or whatever but yeah, this was definitely like, a, a 1954 3 to 6 you know final <laughs> final score game but like players like are playing well it's not like it's not like offense is being inept like it's really boring like terrible like the defenses were actually playing well players were playing hard and in that sense it was entertaining like more of an insider entertainment, but it was better than just like a real crap fest like that Austin match. Well, you just really sort of expected to see some sort of release. Where's the release? You know, we're we're getting we got so used There's to so seeing much a ball in the midfield. Right. We 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 got so used to seeing that ball on the on the left hand side coming up the left hand side with with Deer or with Flemings and then across into open field over to Asante. That basically, I think that happened once maybe. Uh, during the ho- the whole entire match, there just wasn't a lot of release that was coming across 
to to flow that ball up to the right up the right hand side and then cross back in the middle. Um, the the teams just did a really good job gumming up each other's works the whole time, uh, and and you could see that frustration. Uh, I I think Junior Flemings was as frustrated, uh, his body language verbally. He was as frustrated as I've ever seen him on the pitch. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, I absolutely think he was, and I'll just go back to, I think, I mean, I, this was not the original game plan by Rick Schantz. We know that because he put Jason Johnson out there, and, and I think that he really does, you know, plug all that together, not to, you know, talk bad about Adam John, but I just don't think he has the build-up play, the ability to make those passes to, you know, keep the flow, keep the tempo up. That, that we needed in that match. And I think it, it really hurt us because, as we said, early on when Johnson was out there, those first 10 minutes, we looked very lively. And then when he came off, the match seemed to change completely. And Sacramento was able to, you know, just limit our opportunities and, and keep us out wide. And Fleming's absolutely looked irritated. I think it was the fact that he didn't have Jason Johnson there to help him out. The past couple matches, when they've been able to combine and get interplay together, I mean, it's been dynamite. So... Um, I really, really think you know Johnson was was going to be key for us last night, and we lost him early. So I'm just hoping that he's going to be okay for next week in Orange County. Some of this really speaks to the use of technical fouls, right? I, yes. Yep. Um, and and how those fouls disrupt the match. Now in this match, there was plenty of fouling. There was only three cards. Phoenix had one card in the in the tenth minute. Uh, with Colin Fernandez. Sacramento had a foul in the 53rd with Shannon Gomez and in, in the 81st uh, with Kevin Aleman, who who was just time-wasting. And, their, yeah, their fouls weren't even... Their cards weren't even for fouls. It was for arguing with the ref and time-wasting. And going back to that Junior Fleming's point, Junior Fleming's got tossed around like a rag doll yesterday. It was, he was getting the Eden Hazard treatment, like getting tackled left and right, and no cards are coming out for this. He's not even getting foul calls at least half the time. He did a fucking somersault on one of those, yeah. and they didn't even blow the whistle. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty amazing looking at the stats. Uh, now, we know Phoenix Rising is a team that fouls. We know that. I, that, that we're kind of continuing that. Uh, we had some discipline issues in the prior year. We haven't really had the same discipline issues this year, although Adam John seems to be racking up uh, a, a decent number of yellows. We conceded 15 fouls and were consi- considered to be a fouling team. Sacramento Republic had 20 fouls. That were 20 called. 20 fouls. That were actually not, called. Not a, yeah, 20 fouls that were called. Not a single one of their yellow cards was for one of those fouls. It just blows my mind. And as you were watching the end of the match and things get a little bit chippier and chippier, Kyle, what was going through your mind? I mean, just to be careful. I mean, it really would have was you don't want to see anyone get hurt and on the rising side you don't want us to react and to end up getting a red card that you know to a critical player that's going to affect us next week and into the future i i mean it really was it was it was frustrating to watch but also it's refreshing when a referee doesn't get in the way and doesn't you know constantly hold up the match um but i i mean it was it was a very weird match and especially you know like we said rising's usually the one who's out there and being aggressive and, and getting called for the fouls so to have it you know the shoe on the other foot it was a little bit different but uh i mean I, thankfully you know everyone ended up okay i think you know that aggression sometimes turns into uh to danger to players health so you know hopefully johnson's all right and everyone else was able to get off the field unscathed 
But Kyle, doesn't that dis- doesn't that disrupt as we're continuing with the theme of disruption? Doesn't that disrupt your joy of watching a match? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because because you're not being able to see, you know, the the opportunities that could have happened because fouls are constantly, you know, occurring on both sides. But I, I think I think he was, you know, smart on Sacramento's part because they saw that this ref, you know, he he gave a card early, I think, to set the tone, but beyond that, you know, he was only gonna give a card for something that was outrageous and they were able to get away with a lot and uh you know, ultimately, from their perspective, they were doing everything they could to stop us from building up and to create that opportunity, and they were successful. It was a frustrating match to watch, but uh, um, like I said, I mean, I came into this match with expectations of a draw, so to to be able to get out of it in, in that situation was was okay with me. But it, it is it's disruptive and it's it can be annoying to watch, and it's like. Like Dominic said, I mean, the Sam Alderdice special, it's one of those games that unless you're a true fan of the game, you kind of just write it off and say, okay, well, that, that was a, something to watch, but it wasn't the most entertaining thing I saw today. We do we do have and, a couple it, And Aaron there. is Googling who Sam Allardyce is. <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say there were a couple chances for each side to talk about. I Somewhere in the 70s, Sacramento had a very dangerous ball in the box 77 i think yeah so lubin was able to make a save but then the ball bounced way up in the air he had no idea where it was it was right towards the right post and uh thankfully i think adam john cleared it right before a sacramento player was diving in to head it home that was an extremely nerve-wracking moment um and then after that you know right towards the end we almost steal this match on a lovely opportunity in the 86th minute. Um, I don't know who played the ball back for Asante, but it was a great back pass. And he took a touch, had it on his left foot. The goal was there, and he just missed it to the left. Would have been a perfect way to steal three points. And, and Kyle, my, this is all, I, I call this all on me because I'm the one who I think said last week or, or in one of the prior podcasts, why isn't Asante using his left foot? He had several chances with his right foot, should have moved the ball over to his left. In this case, he used the left and skies it over the crossbar. I, I mean, I, I think it was your jinx, but it also, it just seems like he, he just does not have the finishing touch that he came into Phoenix Rising with last season. And, I mean, it's just been so frustrating because Sante always gets himself in these great opportunities to take shots and it seems like everything he's shooting nowadays is just going wide of the frame. And, I mean, it's it's just it's one of those things, like you said, left foot, right foot, it just doesn't seem like he can get it get it dialed up right now. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, the dam breaks soon and that he's able to, you know, just start scoring goals at an amazing rate because his assists are, are awesome. But right now what we need is that goal scorer, that, you know, talisman who's going to take the game by the scruff and just, Get us a goal. That's what we needed so badly last night, and I think we lacked that on many levels. Yeah, and, you know, it still is important to know that that Asante does have three goals. Um, They are all three goals in the box. They are all all three goals with his right foot. He has taken 27 total shots with 15 of them on target. I mean, I think that that conversion rate, that 15 on target to only three scored, that's that's what's just an absolute killer. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, so it, it is tough, and I, and I think 
he may be struggling a little bit with his role as the captain uh, with, you know, not the most fantastic English speaker on the, on the squad. Um, I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but we are seeing some criticism out, off in the Twitterverse about his play as well. Um, I, I still think he is the key to just about everything that we do. Uh, and I just think last night we just couldn't get the ball. We couldn't move the ball around, period. We could barely get the ball in between two players who were next to each other, much less clear the ball from a left side to a right side. Yeah, and he was still a catalyst for some of our forward movement. He was still distributing the ball well. He did miss hit two or three shots last night, but you know, you need a guy like him to win a match like that. And he he actually had a long shot in the 50s that wasn't too far off. It would have been an absolute banger of a goal. Total banger. Um so I mean, you know, maybe one day this season that goal goes in. Gives us a 1-0 win in a tough match. So, you know, I wouldn't freak out too much about Asante not having an ideal performance. Oh, no. Oh, I think that should wrap. I, 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 I agree completely. And I, I think, I mean, he contributed so much to us last night and all the time. I mean, his energy, his ability to to make a move in tight spaces and to beat three players. I mean, it's like you said, it's a player who you need to win a game. Um, I just I think that you know his form right now as far as finishing is just just not there and you know Aaron Aaron had a spot on 15 shots on goal and only three converted so it's it's something that can improve but at least he's getting the shots on goal if that were the case that he was not having any shots it would be much more concerning and that should pretty much wrap up our recap of the match against the Sacramento Republic on April 27th Don do you have any final thoughts I mean, let's let's just get on to Orange County. I mean, you knew going in this was going to be a tricky match. I think anyone that thought otherwise is a little delusional, quite frankly. But we get a result, which is more than I was expecting going in. And, uh, yeah, no need to dwell on it too much. I think Orange County's defense is a lot more vulnerable than the one we just played. Kyle, uh, what about you? I mean, Dominic's spot on. I think a point is a great result. Um, to not concede a goal and to keep, you know, the clean sheet streak alive is is awesome. I think Lubin has, you know, right now he's cemented himself as our number one keeper. And I think that, yeah, I, I mean, Orange County is going to be a much better opponent for us. I think we'll match up better against them to be a more exciting match with more opportunity and a better flow. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's all eyes forward now to next week, and we got to get these three points. And my final thoughts are: uh, after we posted the re- after we posted the uh, Firebird Soccer recap, we did get a comment on Reddit by Godspeed Hernandez, who said, "When can we start calling for Chance's head?" And I got to tell you, man, we drew against a good squad in a hostile environment, a place that we haven't won a single match. And Dom, Kyle, and myself, none of us expected a win. I think we all expected a loss. Although Ky- Kyle might be recanting and saying he wanted a draw. Uh, but none of us were expecting a win out of this. So, you know, the, the reality is um, Dom and I were wrong. We thought we were going to come out of this with a loss. We actually played a little bit better than, than Dom and I expected. So uh, kudos to Kyle for, for calling the draw. But this is not on chance. I think that he played a fine match. I think he had to deal with a loss of a Jason Johnson early on. I think that he had a, a player on the back line who he hadn't seen play in a match. <clears throat> who was playing, and then 
that same player, Deweji Mala, gets injured in the 33rd, and you have to put on a League One player that hasn't practiced with the squad uh, too terribly much. So this was a fantastic result. We come away with one point, and we find ourselves in ninth place uh, within the, play the playoff standings of the Western Conference. That being said, let, we'll go ahead and take a quick break and discuss the Firebird soccer calendar next. Here is your Firebird soccer calendar for the week of April 29th. Phoenix Rising take on Orange County Football Club on Saturday, May 4th at 7 p.m. Match can be watched on ESPN Plus or the CW or ArizonaSports.com for the audio stream. In league play, FC Tucson has a rare Tuesday match on Tuesday, April 30th against Lansing Ignite at 7 p.m. at Kino North Stadium in Tucson. The match will also be available on ESPN+. The United Premier Soccer League, UPSL, opens play also on Saturday, May 4th. At 1 p.m., you can check MSC United, the Mesa Soccer Club team, at 1 p.m. Also in action, Sporting AZ FC takes on FC Grande at 7 p.m. on Saturday at Phoenix College. For tickets, go to SportingAZ.com. In NPSL play, FC Arizona continues its undefeated season as it takes on Golden State FC at Rio Hondo Stadium in Whittier, California, so no home match for FC Arizona next week. The team will return home for a match on Saturday, May 18th against AS Los Angeles. Finally, make sure to mark your schedules for May 11th as our two local UPSL squads, MSC United and Sporting Arizona, play each other in league play at Phoenix College. That match will take place again on May 11th. Please make a point to join us for a celebration of local soccer and mark any photos or social media with the hashtag supportlocalsoccer. So I know you guys usually look forward to a match preview before we go to USL News and Scores, but we will be talking with the Orange County soccer cast the orange and black soccer cast later in the episode for a more in-depth preview against orange county next saturday so for now we're going to turn to usl news and scores usually we go straight into scores but there are two um important stories we want to hit first and the number one story is um this came out on twitter last night atiba harris oklahoma city energy player um he tweeted that let me pull this up Apparently, a Tulsa Roughnecks player called him the N-word not once but twice um, to get in his head and intimidate him. And here's the full tweet. Tonight in our USL Championship game, a player from Roughnecks called me the N-word not once but twice on the field to try to insult me. I told the ref, but the game continued. We really need to put a stop to this nonsense. Love over hate. Uh, and this has gained a lot of traction you know, he tweeted it at USL Championship and at Tulsa Roughnecks Twitter accounts so they would see it. And this now has almost 1,000 likes and 300 retweets, which, I mean, you don't see numbers bigger than that in USL. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? Because that's really depressing to hear. You know, I think, I think it's a really tough deal here because when we're talking about play at the level of where we're at, these are professional players they know, they understand, they should not be having these, these kinds of issues come up. Uh, 
<clears throat> this is a multicultural game. It's a multinational game. But the reality of it, I mean, l let's talk about the actual reality of it. At the top level of this, of this game, at the World Cup level, this happens all the time. Most notably uh, with the Zinedine Zidane uh, um, incident uh, in which somebody uh, called his family some really horrible stuff and he placed his forehead directly in that player's sternum in one of the biggest matches in the game. So if, if they can't get rid of this at the FIFA level or at, at the World Cup level, how are we going to do this at the USL Championship level, Kyle? I mean, just I think the only way to do it is, you know, to to keep a better eye and ear out for it as far as from a referee perspective and, you know, the, the league officials. And then, you know, when, when this does take place, there has to be a, a hefty fine and ban, you know. I, and, I mean, it, that's the only way that it's, it's ever going to happen. People have even said point deductions. I don't know. For me, I think it needs to. You need to take a personal punishment approach rather than to punish, you know, the entire team. But if it, you know, turns out that it's the entire fan base or something like that, then that could be something that you consider as well. But I mean, as we said, there has to be something done because it's it is a problem at all levels of the game and in a lot of sports too. It's not just contained to soccer. You know, this is just a worldwide problem that we have, and it, it's it's sad that it happens but i also think the fact that we're talking about it and bringing up um that this shouldn't be taking place and trying to find proactive solutions to rid it from the game i think that's a good thing the conversations are being started but it needs to be done at a higher level that you know the league needs to take a you know stand uh, up against this kind of behavior and to make sure that it doesn't happen you know regardless of if emotions are high you know there's there's just no room for it but, Dom, I was watching this Austin Bold match when we played Austin Bold, and <clears throat> there was the comment of, as our goalkeeper, as Zach Lubin was, uh, was about to launch his goal kicks, we had that typical chant that occurs in La Liga MX that happened. And then the team came on and said, oh, no, 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 it's not that chant. They're saying something else. No, it wasn't Austin. It was, uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, El, Paso. Uh, El Paso Locomotive. Uh, and the locomotive said, no, 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 they're not saying that. They're saying, choo-choo. And I got, you got to call that crap out because they weren't. Our fans were there. We had, we had supporters who were at that game, and they know that, that, was getting put, that, that that's what was going on. So the, the big difference to me is here we, have, we don't have a big Spanish-speaking uh, uh, American um, uh, set, set of supporters or fans. Uh, so... Great, they said a word in Spanish. I don't know Spanish, so what do I care? But here in this particular case, they said the N-word, uh, and the referee was made aware of it. Now, Dom, you had some thoughts as we were getting as we were preparing for the podcast about what the referee's role is in this, this kind of a case. Yeah, and I, I don't know what the referee did because I wasn't watching this match, and Atiba didn't say exactly what happened. He said he went to the ref, but the match continued. Um one of the refs, or another ref, had a pretty well-liked comment in that thread, and he was saying these are really tough situations as a ref because if you don't have a player, like if you're not, um, if you can't verify it, if you didn't see it, and it's just someone's word, uh, and there, there's like no one else corroborating this, it's tough to 
just pull a red card out of your pocket. Um, you know, he's, he said that that was one of the toughest situations for a ref to deal with because you just, there are some things that you miss. Um, and again, like, I don't know what the ref's role in that situation is. It's also something you learn the letter of the law, but what is the rule in that situation? Does the whole match get stopped? I mean, personally, I think that might be a good thing to do. Like, allow the teams to kind of like confront what happened but you know if it can be verified who that player was then yeah that's a red card offense um and maybe i'm hoping that we find out who that was and there can be a suspension in place but it's just something that has no place in the game yeah it certainly isn't going to happen what happened in, in my son's last tournament where uh one of my kids was insulted on the field the referee did not hear anything and my player's mother marched his son up to the other kid, which really shouldn't. That could have been a lousy situation for me as a coach. Uh, but you know, it, you just can't. It just can't happen. It can't be demonstrated for the kids. We're gonna play mind games all day long with ticky tack fouls, <clears throat> or you know, shirt pulling, or or something like that. But this is a multicultural game in a multicultural com- uh, country, and it just does not belong. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Um, another another off-field thing that happened uh, this week was in the New Mexico Timbers two match. I guess it was technically on the field. Um, you know, emotions were running high in this match. Six goals all in the second half, and Timbers two just scored on a penalty to go up three two. Um, a couple of the players go right in front of the New Mexico supporters kind of like taunting them like hey where are you guys at now like waving at them and uh at least a couple new mexico supporters threw um food beer and trash on the pitch um the match didn't the match highlights didn't show all that but there was a statement made by the curse supporters group um and they did take ownership for it you know uh even though they weren't sure anyone in their group did it they still you know the behavior is unacceptable Emotions can run high, but what's and we'll still like taunt players. But what's not okay is throwing stuff at them. That's just unacceptable. And that's one of these tough cases in these baseball stadiums, uh, these converted baseball stadiums, because those players, as they're fin, you know, when they come off of those goals, they are right in front of supporters groups. Uh, <clears throat> there is, you know, it's a very very short wall. It's very easy for uh, you know those players to go almost eye to eye to the to the supporters. And that can create some scary situations. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's. I said it earlier. You know, there it's understandable to have passion, but uh, you just can't let it pour out onto the field and into physical, you know, altercations or things like that. I mean, it's just, it's it's always going to happen that a player is going to taunt you after they score a goal, especially if the supporter group's been giving it to them all night. Um, I mean, you just got to beat them with your play on the field. That's the only way, you know, to, to really be at the top in this game. I mean, it, it's just, for me, it's just, it's not a lack of class, but it's just a lack of knowledge of, you know, how we should behave. Um, it, I mean, I know it's happened at Phoenix Rising games in the past, too, and it, it hasn't been a problem recently. And I think it's it's something that clubs can learn and grow from. I think, you know, this... New Mexico United Club is still very young, their supporters group as well. And, yeah, they may not have been the ones who 
offended in this situation, but to take ownership and to say, hey, guys, this is not what we're about, I think that's a class move from them. And I think that, you know, they they really can show the rest of the league what they're about and redeem themselves in the next couple home matches. That if, you know, they're still bringing that atmosphere, but leaving it in the stands and not bringing it out onto the pitch, then uh, I think everyone will, you know, gain a little bit more respect for them for, you know, maybe they made a mistake, but if they learn from it, you can't really hold it against them. And tons of respect to what the Curse and New Mexico are doing out there in that stadium. Uh, it, it's really fantastic, and of course their their play has reflected their level of support as well. So let's chalk this up to a learning uh, a, a learning situation, um, some some excitement in a first year of an expansion franchise, and out <clears throat> especially in a game where former Phoenix Rising uh, forward Kevon Freider just dominated uh, and and pulled a just a beautiful hat trick. Yeah, that was that was incredible. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see. The, especially the third goal in this. He just one-times it out of the air, roofs it um, from about 10 yards out. I mean, what you got to have balls of steel to put a shot in like that. One-time it in stoppage time. You know, after your team has blown a 2-0 lead and you're down with like a couple minutes left, what an insane goal, and the celebration was awesome. Um, he went all the way out to the team bench and did a slide. The crowd was going crazy. So one of those amazing moments uh, in the USL, and it's it's really cool to see. He has seven goals now for New Mexico this season, which is right on pace with Santi Moore, who gets all the love and all the attention nationally. But look at this guy. He just puts goals in, and he has seven already. And it really couldn't come at a better time uh, because they were trailing. Uh, they were, uh, New Mexico was trailing. 3-2 to two against the Timbers uh, as they were heading into stoppage time. In the third minute of stoppage time, this ball rolls around, comes at his feet uh, just a little, maybe about 10 yards out or so, and he just rockets the ball into the back of the net uh, to, save, <clears throat> to save some points or pick up a point. I don't know what the proper terminology is, uh, but that's our first, first score in our USL roundup here. Uh, for our scores, New Mexico 3, Portland Timbers 3. Well, to keep on the subject of high-scoring draws, let's go in our time machine and take it back to Wednesday because Los Dos 4, RGV 4, was a thing that happened. And quite frankly, this match was high school level defending. It was bad. It was embarrassing. When I saw this score, I had to see what happened in this match. Um... You know, it started out on a pretty impressive run by Didi Traore, running from inside his own half, um, looking like Messi out there, make, making it past like three players, um, just taking it up the left wing and putting a tight angle shot in. I mean, a solo run, you probably won't see a longer one in USL this season. Very impressive. But the score stayed 1-0 for a long time in this match. Um and it was even 2-0 in the 77th minute when RGV started its comeback. They put in three goals to take the lead. Los Dos then ties it. Then RGV goes ahead again. And, I mean, some of these goals are just balls in the box where guys are unmarked. Like, it's pretty bad stuff. Um, but then right at the end, right at the end, seconds left in stoppage time, it looks like RGV is clearing their lines. But the clearance just happens to go right in the chest of a Los Dos player who keeps it in the zone. Puts it back in, 
and there's kind of a distance shot that the keeper just should have caught and it would have been game over. He spills the rebound, they score, and it's 4-4 right at the death. 90 plus 6 with Kai Koreniak. I mean, just an <clears throat> unbelievable finish. Um, and and it will, that was almost a, a signal of things to come in that New Mexico match because stoppage time goals oh my, are, are the best goals, undoubtedly. And interesting, in the, at the end of that match, it looks like uh, Connor Donovan, a, a Toros player, after that goal went in and the whistle was blown, was given a red card for violent conduct. Uh, I just noticed that in, in, in the game log because that was pretty much after the whistle was blown. So interesting match between L.A. and RGV. Yeah, I kind of ruined a hat trick for uh, someone on RGV. Salazar had a hat trick just in 15 minutes as a sub. And uh, it's all for nothing, I guess. A bloody, bloody red card week in USL, too. I mean, just in the Western Conference, red card in that LA-RGV match. Uh, three red cards in four matches on Friday. And then, um, actually, no red cards yesterday. But there were three red cards on Friday, all in Western Conference matches. I mean, that is, that is crazy. So we'll get to those Friday matches now. Um, the one that doesn't matter at all, San Antonio 3, Tacoma Defiance nil. Uh, moving on. <laughs> As if there was ever well, a doubt. <laughs> Austin 3, Salt Lake City 2. Um, Austin, uh, definitely my pick for the 18th spot in the Western Conference, Mr. Irrelevant, playing some, some decent ball. Yeah, they got all their goals in the first half, and then they're a man down in the second half, but they, uh, they hang on for that 3-2 win. Um, they're getting goals from different sources, too, which is interesting for them. Um, and then Fresno 2, Orange County 2. We'll briefly discuss this. I'm sure that uh, Dylan from the Orange and Black Soccer cast will discuss it more, but um, OC went up early in this match. Um, great goal by Harry Forster to make it 2-0, but then Fresno gets back in it, and Juan Pablo Caffa equalizes in the 84th minute, so it ends up 2-2. Another really physical, really chippy match. Uh, that was the match where we had a red card. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were saying the, the, that, that was one of the, the Friday matches that had a red card. Uh, Seth Moses uh, with, with well, it, it really wasn't Moses' tackle. Uh, as I'm watching it, <clears throat> that card should have been on Arun Basu, uh, Basujevic. Um, Moses also gets his feet tangled up, picks up the second yellow, and, and he's suspended, and that, that'll be it for him in the 90 plus two but what what i want you to talk about is aiden quinn's behavior <clears throat> subsequent to that 90 minute or subsequent to that foul because he seemed totally off tilt going after players on fresno going after uh going at the referee after the whistle blows aiden quinn in my opinion usl championship deserves to be suspended or reprimanded for his behavior at the end of this match kyle did you catch any of that one no, I, I did not. I did not see any of the highlights from that match. Um, I just saw the box score of it. And I mean, yeah, but to hear about that, um, I mean, it's it's something that, you know, you never want to see a player go after a ref. You know, they're not a target on the field. They're just supposed to be, you know, the, the you know, line of what's allowed and what's not. So, I mean, very disappointing to hear that that happened. But I mean, I, I think that Fresno seems to be that kind of team that will irritate you, and they could uh, definitely bring the worst out in some people, I think. Yeah, and I just really wouldn't complain about 
not having Aiden Quinto to go up against in the next match either. Yeah. That'd Maybe be a little self-serving. I'll, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. <laughs> I saw your ulterior hey, you, motive there. I knew, I knew what you were talking about. I knew what you were up to. Wait, who are we? We're playing Los Dos next weekend, right? <laughs> oh, 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 that other yeah. team. Yeah, oh. we're playing that other LA team that, or, or that Aiden Quinn happens to be part of. Oh, like the the team that like doesn't actually get promising players up to MLS. <laughs> oh, that team. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's those are our Friday matches. Anything stand out to you, Kyle, from the matches we talked about so far? Because there's still a couple others. I mean, the the three three New Mexico Portland. I think that both shows. You know, they're both very quality sides, top tier teams. And then for me, that Austin three two over Salt Lake. I think Austin is. I think they're kind of having a slow build to their season. And as you said, having different goal scorers, it seems like they're finally finding that knack to score. It just took, you know, Phoenix Rising to get there. And uh, I think I think that they're going to, you know, slowly make their way up the standings. I don't see them, you know, being a dangerous team all season. But I do think that getting a win against Salt Lake is, is nothing to uh, to look down upon. This is this is a nice run of home matches for them too. They yep. played us. They drew El Paso last weekend. They got Monarchs at home after having a very difficult early season schedule, but you know, that'll even out and uh we'll see how that actually goes for them in the long haul, but good results recently for them. Moving on to other matches in the West yesterday, um you know, the Derby match where Tiva Harris was taunted. That ended up 1-1. Um, I believe Tulsa scored early in this match, but then Owain Gordon gets an equalizer in the 32nd, and uh, you know a lot of draws end up, a lot of derbies end up in draws. This one does as well, and then El Paso hosts Reno, and finally gets a big win. They get a one-nil home win on a late penalty kick from Sebastian Contreras, that puts them off the bottom of the table at least for now. Um, and I think El Paso fans were pretty excited about that. Is it? Do I really take away much from that match? Not really. I mean, that's a long road trip for Reno, and uh, El Paso badly needed a result. So it's something for them, but I wouldn't take a lot of stock into it. And then by the time you guys listen, you might uh, have already seen a Los Dos Las Vegas result. That match is tomorrow at 7.30. Yeah, I- and that wraps up. That that should wrap up our Western Conference scores uh, for the USL Championship. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll where you'll hear about the Western Conference standings. Hang on for a minute, and we'll be right back. After this weekend's action, here are your Western Conference standings. In first position, the Portland Timbers two are ahead with 15 points. In second, the Tulsa Roughnecks have 14 points and are ahead of New Mexico United on tiebreaker. Quite a jam up in the middle with Reno 1868, Sacramento Republic, Real Monarchs, Austin Bold, OKC Energy, and Phoenix Rising, all with 11 points in that order based on tiebreakers. In 10th and final playoff position, San Antonio FC with 10 points, followed by LA Galaxy and Fresno, who also have 10 points below on tiebreakers. In 13th position, Orange County Soccer Club with 9 points, followed closely by Rio Grande Valley and El Paso Locomotive. 
Coming up the rear, we have the Colorado Springs Switchbacks, Las Vegas Lights, and in final position, the Tacoma Defiance with six points. On the Eastern Conference side, St. Louis FC, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, North Carolina FC, and Charleston Battery round out your top four. Um, and so we're going to wrap things up. Before we get to closing thoughts, want to talk a bit about SC Tucson. They're in the midst of a three-match homestand. Uh, this time they hosted South Georgia Tormenta, um, who is looking like a unit in the USL League One. They are on top of the table. Um, so people knew this would be a tough match coming in. Tucson kept them off the board in the first half, but they end up winning. Tormenta ends up winning 2-0. Um, they get goals in the 63rd minute from Lucas Coutinho, and they get a goal late in stoppage time from Connor Antley. Um, you know, Tucson hung in there, but this was always going to be a tough match. They had the misfortune of playing Tormenta for two of their four matches this season. So they're towards the bottom of the table right now. They have four points from four matches. But, you know, maybe things will pick up for them. Um, Interestingly enough, Cody Wakasa is not regularly featuring for them. Um, he was not used as a sub yesterday. So, um, they didn't they didn't even announce attendance in the post-match article. I know they were trying to do a promotion where students could go for free. I think that kind of stuff is cool. But um, they'll have another chance to get back out at it. They play Lansing Ignite on Tuesday. And Lansing is a mid-table squad, so could be a chance to quickly bounce back and get some points. And the score is actually a, makes it look a little bit worse than it was. That score came uh, in the last, in the uh, in <clears throat> pretty much in the final minute. FC Tucson uh, manager Darren Squaski pulls in uh, Ejimandu, the, the goalkeeper pulls him up on a corner kick. Uh, so Ejimandu was in the wrong side of the field. Uh, South Georgia Tormenta is able to uh, find the ball after the corner kick, race, th race down the field, and score that second goal. So really, it, this was a one nothing match for the most part, except for a desperation play at the end of, at the, end of the game. FC Tucson still needs to, needs to try to uh, hit its stride a little bit. They are a little bit smaller of a squad um, as a result of the Phoenix Rising ability to pull people up and pull, pull people down. So... <clears throat> Good on them for getting some attendance down there. Uh, I, I was able to see there were absolutely people there. You could see them on the feed. So uh, they'll just keep on running. And with that being said, anything else we should address before we get to final thoughts? So I guess I'll go first with final thoughts unless, uh, Kyle, you had anything? I mean, no, I'm ready for final thoughts. I, I mean, I can start, you can start. That does not make a difference to me. I'll go for it. Um, so just our result, that's a pretty good result, you know. Obviously, we love to see a lot of goals. We love to see wins. But this was going to be a really challenging stretch. We talked about it before the season started, the moment the schedule was released. This was going to be the toughest stretch of our season with a lot of away matches. Um, you know, Orange County finishes that out. Going into the season, I said at El Paso, at Austin, um, the one home match thrown in there, but then at Sacramento, at Orange County, that's going to be the toughest stretch of our season. You know, maybe it won't actually work out that way, 
but we've been doing okay. I mean, we got a win in El Paso. We got the win at home. We got a draw. Um, weird that the only loss out of those four matches was Austin, but even Austin's starting to look okay. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're playing pretty well, and considering that we were playing a team coming off a bye, that Jason Johnson got hurt, all these things, not a terrible result. I feel good going into Orange County, especially knowing that they are a vulnerable squad. I'll go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Dominic. I mean, it, looking at the uh, looking at the schedule in preseason, or just you know, not even considering you know the date. I think that seeing Sacramento away, getting a draw is completely respectable, regardless of you know the situation of who we played before that. You know, of of everything of Sacramento having a bye, I think a draw against them is a great result. Them being on a bye actually adds to it for me. I think the fact they came off a week's rest and we still, you know, didn't let them score a goal, I think that's great for us. And I really think for me, you know, this was just another game that we got through it. We didn't concede anything to them and we can move on to next week and and focus on Orange County and an opponent that, you know, there's, I think Orange County is one of the most fun teams that we play. There's always a lot of emotion, a lot of passion, and there will definitely be some drama. So I'm very excited. I think next week is a great opportunity for us. As you said, this is our toughest stretch on paper. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think we fared very well. I think that Austin team, I think the loss to Austin isn't going to look as bad as the season goes on, especially being a 1-0. Um, I, yeah, I think I think this team's in a r- good spot right now. I think a lot of other teams have performed very well early on and, you know, maybe not something that, most of the Phoenix Rising fans would have expected, but I think this period that we're going through right now is just transitional, and I think when we come out the other side, we're going to be a lot better for it, and we're going to be dangerous. It's still very early on in the season. I think uh, I think we still have room to grow, and I think this Orange County match is a good opportunity for us to see where we're at. And that's, that's something I agree with entirely, because this really shows where Phoenix Rising is at. If you look at the, the starting squad and the, all the players who actually played, this is a 100% Phoenix Rising squad. There is no Shaft Brewer Jr. There is no Tristan Blackman. There is no Baccaro. <clears throat> this is all Phoenix Rising, and this is really what our team actually is. So after some criticism about, well, you know, uh, no Lamar Batista, after some criticism about, you know, what are the, the lone players bringing to us, uh, how are they disrupting the way that we're playing as they're coming in and out? Here, we're able to see an actual Phoenix Rising squad, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to sort of continue some of this. Of course, definitely want to see Baccaro come back and come back into the mix because uh, Baccaro has had some visa issues. It was mentioned on the broadcast. Dominic uh, let us know last week, but it was kind of on the down low at the time. But if uh, <coughs> Devin Kerr and Tyler Terrence are going to talk about it, so are we. Uh, so in the next week, we're going to be welcoming uh, uh, Beccaro, John Beccaro back into the mix and see if we can gain some more of that flow, some more of that rhythm that we were seeing in the first couple matches. I, I think we will because Orange County is a team that's given up a lot of goals this season. I think they like to push themselves. Um, our matches tend to either be defensive or very open. I feel like this one ends up on the open side. Um so, I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking about that. And one other plug, too, since we're still here, 
go check out the latest episode of Arizona Soccer Radio. They had Kyle Kepner on. Um, always a fun listen. Always good to hear our guy Kyle doing well um, in his current position with Sporting AZ. So I think that's all we got. Absolutely. And again, uh, as a reminder from the, the Firebird Soccer calendar, please make sure to mark, uh, mark out the match on May 11th as Sporting Arizona takes on Mesa United, uh, Mesa Soccer Club United in their UPSL match. Great place to support local soccer. That's going to take place again at Phoenix College at 7 p.m. We'll see you. Uh, please make sure. Uh, definitely want to see you on May 11th for that match. No conflict with Rising either because we play that dollar beer night Friday. So when you're just getting back over that hangover, make it out there. Go support local soccer. And you might actually see Dom and me on the pitch uh, playing some small goal soccer too. Who knows? Well, well, we might have to save that for a, a little bit of a teaser surprise. Thank you for listening to the Rising is One podcast. I'm Aaron Blau for my co-hosts, Dominic Kearns and Kyle Mackey. Up Rising. Uprising. Uprising. This is Dominic again with the Risings One podcast, and I'm joined by two special guests today. Introduce yourselves. Go, Dylan. Oh, I'm Dylan from the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, everyone's least favorite member of the podcast. And I'm Ray Samora, Orange and Black Soccer Cast host, producer, a little bit of everything there, and I am, I guess, everyone's favorite member of that podcast team unless alan has taken that role who's not here with us yeah i was gonna say favorite by default uh <laughs> oh yeah you know it's uh i don't know i guess yeah dylan will probably say yeah give it to ray because ray does everything apparently yeah no i think that's pretty fair and on the usl show that's what they suggested too so that's true <laughs> um well, let's dive right in. I mean, we got a huge matchup coming up this upcoming Saturday, um, May the 4th. I'm sure there'll be some good banners for that. Uh, hopefully not printed, but um, <laughs> be ready Be ready to raise your game because our away support will be raising our game. Probably not the way it was last November, but I know that they're already planning on having a bus, so... Yay, yay for uh, for Orange County soccer and for the stadium to get another invasion from Phoenix. We're excited about that. Aren't you guys doing a uh, a silly margarita night too? They're doing something. I, there's been promotions. I, I don't know all the details of it, Dylan. I don't know if you know a little bit more, but I know it's they're talking about having some sort of Cinco de Mayo type celebration on uh, on Cinco de Cuatro. Or no, yeah. That, you, <laughs> no, well, no, 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 but I, I, you got to go to like the Arrested Development uh, oh. thoughts on that. Yeah, that, that's an awesome show, and that was their, I guess, holiday in this type of thing. So I missed that episode. <laughs> it's, in, it's in most of them. You should definitely watch. <laughs> I've seen. If I've you guys seen want to it. talk trash about Orange County, that's the way to go. Well, because at least they it's have sort of more realistic. Line, I'd rather be dead in. Orange County, that, or I mean, dead in California, than alive in Arizona, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there's something planned. Um, so for those of you Phoenix fans that are coming out, bring some money to, to buy whatever it is they're selling, whether it's micheladas, tamales. Uh, I don't think they're going to be selling tamales, right? 
Maybe they'll have Taco Bell there or something. That's going to be the Mexican food they'll bring. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A can provide the Mexican food for that match. Uh, well, you know, it's still Saturday, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully this isn't an extra time thriller or anything. So. <laughs> um, well, let's, yeah, let's actually get into it, though. I want to start out by asking a few questions about Orange County this season. Um, I think a lot of our supporters like to talk crap uh, because it's fun. But, you know, in all reality, we respect you guys. I mean, you're not a pushover. Um, but it's been a tough season. What has been what has been the least pleasant surprise for Orange County this season? Uh, the fact that they can't win matches that they should be winning, at least uh, on paper and from what we've seen from the past season. Uh, the fact that it's, we, the victories we've had or even the draws we've had, most of them have been a struggle this season just to get it or obtain those points. I know heading into the season for us and I know for you guys as well, I mean, it was high expectations. I, I think we were both shooting for a rematch in, in the Western Conference Finals in the preseason. And now I know speaking with Dylan uh, you know, off of our episodes just in, in private, we've both just been discussing like it, it'll be nice just to – make the playoffs and be on a decent seed for the playoffs, let alone thinking about the championship at this point. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I go off of that, it's, we don't have a number 10 anymore. And, um, our number six is injured. So I mean, obviously there's players that have these numbers, but, um, positionally those roles aren't filled. And as a result, we can't score, um, our defense has been decent the last few weeks, not this past weekend, um, obviously would suggest not, but there's just a few holes um, really in, in our midfield that despite having seven or eight midfielders on the roster really aren't filled. Um, and and that quality that we lost in Anna really been evident lately. So how is he yeah, doing is a this moment. season? He's he's been doing pretty well, um, th- along with the rest of the team. They had a slow start. They lost the first game, and then they had they've had a few bye weeks. But um, I think he and Dane Kelly have gotten along really well, much like he and Michael Seaton got along last year. And so he's proved his worth in that in that front line for them. And I, I think the biggest I guess loss out of Enavoldson not being on the team anymore is is he was that force on the team that pushed or expected more out of his teammates. He was very vocal on and off the pitch. Uh, he did not appreciate uh, players taking a playoff or, or, you know, he didn't like to lose. He didn't like to see things happen like mess ups on, on the pitch or anything like that. So I think that was a, a big vocal part of our team that's now missing this year. There's not really someone that has grasped that role of basically holding everyone else on, on the team or all of his teammates accountable for, for what's going on. I could very well picture if Anna Volson was on this version of orange County at this point of the season, uh, there would be some some words being said and and on and off again on and off the pitch that would potentially help turn things around as well. And didn't didn't you guys have another um, longtime guy that retired at the end of last season? The name is escaping me. Richard Chaplow. Yes. Yes, he's now the assistant coach, so he's out. Um, he's in the technical area and he's barking directions all game long. But. Um, yeah, that leadership I think in in the midfield and that like that hard tackling midfielder, 
we don't really have one of those right now. Which Christian Duke probably would be if he was healthy. Absolutely. That is, I mean, we saw that last year when, at the beginning of the season, um, when Chaplow was injured, Duke filled that role really well. And then they, they kind of split the duty towards the end of the year and into the playoffs. Um, well, who should Phoenix Rising fans be worried about next Saturday? <laughs> uh, whoever I, our goalkeeper is. We should uh, be worried about your goalkeeper because I was going to, honestly, I was going to ask you guys in a later question, how is Aaron Cervantes doing? Because I feel like he's been getting most of the starts. He's a young kid. He's like 17. And like, I've seen a couple goals where it looks like he has made some kind of rookie mistakes, like kind of young, like you would expect a little bit better. But what you guys actually see every match. How has he been doing? I, I will say this. I, I think he's better than a seven, you know, a typical 17-year-old, especially, you know, he's better than someone making their first starts in this season. Uh, a couple of the bad mistakes he has, or what you can consider bad mistakes on the, on the pitch or bad goals he's let up, maybe not all his. I know there was one earlier in the season where uh, I was very um, hard on Kevin Alston for a lazy pass made to a, a rookie goalkeeper uh, you know it's one of those things where if you're a veteran on the pitch you got to know you know who's on the pitch with you and know who your teammates are and not put someone like an Aaron Cervantes in a position where they're then having to make uh, a play that maybe a veteran goalkeeper would make but knowing that he's a 17 year old first time starter you know first time he's starting this season uh, on the pitch yeah there's been things I mean you'd expect out of a, a first time player you know, there's some mistakes or some maybe questionable positioning or something like that. But I would say I've been pleasantly surprised with what he's done uh, on the opportunities he's got this season. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. Um, I would say I think he's given up five goals now this season. Yeah, that sounds yeah five goals, and I would say two of them have actually been his fault. Um, he conceded two against New Mexico, and one of one of those goals was that back pass, um, and he was kind of let. He was hung out to dry, really, because if he had gone for the ball, uh, he would have been twenty yards out of his goal. Um, there were there were mistakes last week, um, and it's pretty obvious that he's seventeen and he's just not quite at that level yet. But that he's he's pretty close to being at that level um, and being in a decent uh, USL goalkeeper, but. Otherwise, I would say if Darwin Jones is on the pitch, uh, then yes, you have to worry about Darwin Jones and Michael Seaton because they play well off of each other and Darwin Jones has been in really good form. For whatever reason, he didn't play in Fresno. Um, and yeah, our other two wingers scored, but otherwise, uh, Jerry Von Wolfgang and Harry Forster haven't done much of anything this season so far. I'm hoping that now that they've scored, now they're going to be dangerous, but... Um, yeah, it's been a slow, it's been a slow start to our attack, which I think has been a surprise for everyone. I'll second the Darwin Jones. Darwin Jones has been our MVP thus far for this early part of the season. Uh, he's definitely, I think, surprised most of us. I knew, I think, we all knew what he had or what he could do out on the pitch, but even the start that he's been off to this season, I think, is a little bit more surprising than most of us thought. Uh, I'll second Dylan. Also, just some disappointment with some of the other. Uh, scoring options up there. Uh, I know I've been very hopeful that Harry Forrester would get some goals. He finally got a goal this weekend up in Fresno. 
Uh, Jerry finally got the goal. So like Dylan said, hopefully that's going to open up the net now for them. They've they've figured out what they need to do to score in the USL uh, with Orange County. I know Jerry's been in the USL now for a few seasons, but I, yeah, it's it's uh, I think looking at this team, there's been yet. I, I don't think they have been able to find the correct 11 and they've been able to gel quite yet, which is sort of surprising because this team did bring back. Uh, more returning players than pretty much any previous season. So I think most fans were expecting a quick start to the season with some of that chemistry already built up from the previous season, which was very successful for us. Um, Do you feel like your team is rounding into form right now? Do you feel better about the recent performances? Um, Or do you feel like it's still kind of a work in progress? Uh, to quote the uh, the amazing singer Paul Abdul, I feel like it's we're taking like two steps forward and then two steps back uh, every every time we go through the season. So even you go back to the very first match of the season, you know we go down by two goals, we come back and we get those two goals goals to fight and get the draw. Uh, you know you're like okay, it just took you know a half for the team to get things going. They figured it out. We're gonna have a great season, and they just you know they do something good, then they do something poor, like lose to an El Paso team. Uh, you know, or lose uh, at home to Tulsa or lose at home to Tulsa. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those things. I, again, there, there's just been no consistency. They don't have that chemistry built yet. And it's, it, again, they, I, I don't think they have found the, the right rotation on there. So I, I would say at this point, I'm still very concerned about the form. And if not for some of the struggles Phoenix has been having this season as well, I would be very scared for this match uh, coming up this Saturday. Yeah, I I don't think we are, if I'm completely honest with you. We had two games. I, I would honestly say that we've had two good games this season out of the, I think, eight that we've now played. And that would be the win against Colorado and the win against Tacoma. And both of those games, we played our style. We played how we knew we played. We picked those teams apart. We were comfortable on the ball. Against every other team, we, I mean, even against New Mexico and Reno, games we drew, we never did that. Uh, Fresno, we handed them handed them a point. So, yeah, I guess the two steps forward, two steps back is, <laughs> is pretty good. I mean, two straight wins and then two... I mean, we drew against Fresno, but it feels like a loss. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's... It was a... It's a team right now that has a hard time playing a full 90 minutes. Um, they'll do really well for 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And after that, usually an issue or they start slow and then, then they, they get hot towards the end. And it's a question of, is there enough time and do they have enough chances to, to put a few in the back of the net? And, and can I just say one thing? I, I'm really sad that Dylan's saying that a good performance was the Tacoma performance because apparently everyone has a good performance against Tacoma. So it's really hard to use that as a, oh, yeah. a measuring stick. Even if it's a four nil, a four nil match, that's still, uh, I think that's, basically equal to a draw against almost any, any other team in the, in the mm. league right now. Which, you know, which they, means that we can laugh and point the finger at San Antonio for only beating them 3-0 last night. Exactly. <laughs> See, Dominic knows what's up. <laughs> We're in the 4-0 club. Join it, San Antonio. <laughs> they can't. Don't Sad. get it started because then Vegas is going to jump on and say, well, they won 5-0. So. Well, they're Vegas, and they're even worse than us, so they <laughs> <Yeah>. suck. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they had that one phone party, and that's about it this season. Um, do you guys have questions for us? Um, I do. 
I know that I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this, but you guys are like the new LAFC too. You've got a few guys on loan down there. Um, and I know it's not official or anything, but um, how have those loanies been? I saw, I've seen that a few of them have played from uh, the first, what, seven, eight matches that you guys have had. And how have they done so far? And are they generally the starters? Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. The one loney that stood out in his appearances this year is probably John Baccaro, who we got from Toronto. Um, he recently has had some visa issues, but it looks like that's being resolved and he's going to be back. He might be back in our lineup against you guys next Saturday. Uh, it might take him a little bit longer than that, but he's going to be back and he is so classy in the midfield. Um, I think he is the only guy that really can play that number 10 midfielder role who can track back but also can spur the attack forward. We have guys like Kavon Lambert, Colin Fernandez, who are more defensive midfielders, who can get up in spots, but he has that great control. Um, as far as other lone guys, Tristan Blackman has seen some time for us. He was an MLS draft pick in 2018. Um, recently, he hasn't been playing. He's been, he's been up and down. He's had a couple good performances and a couple where he's been left wanting it's kind of strange because last year he was so solid for us um this year it's been a little more inconsistent uh and he's even started a right back a couple times which is not his natural position it hasn't been great um but suddenly we have multiple center backs usually that's been an issue in previous seasons um you know as far as other guys lamar batista has not looked great for us i would be surprised if he starts um, and I, I might be missing another guy, but I feel like those are our biggest loan guys. You know, we mostly have loanies for defense. I mean, Shaft Brewer Jr. has seen a spot appearance here and there. He's looked promising, but he's not a regular guy. Good to know. Uh, I would say for us, it's kind of been feast or famine. Um, somewhat similar to Orange County where like we've had a couple good matches where we put everything together and of course one of those being Tacoma but it's it has been feast of Hammond like some matches the scoring's there but the defense is awful some matches you know lately the defense has gotten its act together but now we've been shut out in three of our last five matches so it it really is about putting all the pieces together in one match and it feels like in any given game, not everything is clicking. So it, that that same kind of inconsistency, um, we've been feeling it. Well, let me let me ask you this question because this became sort of a discussion on our last podcast episode. I know uh, both Phoenix and Orange County are not off to the starts in the season that any of the fan bases expected, even the clubs expected at this point. Um, we, we started discussing Dylan, Allen, and myself on the last episode. Uh, I was sort of saying, hey, it's still very early or still early enough in the season where we maybe shouldn't panic yet. Uh, you know, there's still time to change things, turn things around, uh, figure things out and get on a nice run. Let me ask you this. Uh, when is it sort of the point of the season where it's now no longer early in the season and maybe it's time to start panicking as a fan base, uh, you know, where we're not where we thought we should be and, and we haven't got there yet? I, I mean, I can't speak on everyone. I mean, on Reddit, there was someone saying, when is it time to call for Rick's head? Uh, 
which is ridiculous. The dude won the Western Conference last year in an interim capacity. He got the guys playing better than they were under Patrice Carteron. It's, it's, in my opinion, not time to worry about that yet. We have had a tricky early season start. We've had a lot of tough road matches already at San Antonio, at Austin, at El Paso, at Sacramento, now at you guys. We last season kind of benefited from having some easy away matches early in the season, um, getting to play both Oklahoma teams when they were down, getting to play Los Dos. Um, this season, we've had tougher away matches early. And then even the home matches we've had, they've been against scrappy teams. You know, there's so much parity in the Western Conference that it's not time to panic. We could even... We could even lose to you guys and I wouldn't be panicking. I think we have three home matches coming up that'll be big. Um, versus RGV, versus New Mexico in the Open Cup, versus Las Vegas Lights. If we... I mean, those, in my opinion, should be three wins. If we lose any of those, then maybe it's a different story, or maybe, like, two wins and a draw is okay, but, you know, not at this point. If we start dropping those kinds of matches where we really should be winning, then I'm going to be more concerned. But I I do feel like things are getting better because the defense was a huge issue, and now it's coming into place, and I know we can score goals. It It hasn't helped that opposing keepers seem to always have a USL save of the week candidate against us and always seem to be ridiculous. Um, but that's just how it goes. Apparently um, there was a match where Colorado Springs uh, gave a guy a debut um, and he ended yeah, up getting USL player of the week that week, Abraham Rodriguez, like five foot something. And he's stretching out and making <laughs> ridiculous saves and, uh, saving a penalty and it's like dude that's your first pro start are you serious well we got to thank you for uh tiring him out because he was not that same player the next week he <laughs> well, almost gave I, up a howler off of a clearance it was great and i think his like appearance was like the week after aaron cervantes our young goalkeeper made his uh, first start so it was interesting how you had two first starts young teenagers out there putting up really st- solid performances for their team so Especially in goal, which I think is always like the, oh, you've got a teenage goalkeeper, that's going to cause issues. But yeah, those two weeks was just like, all right, here's some kid who can barely drive himself to practice. Uh, here he is going to make all the saves. And you were talking about like scrappy teams that you guys are like facing. So yeah, maybe it just has something to do with there's now this target on Phoenix and maybe even Orange County because they were the two Western Conference final teams last season. So that's sort of maybe that story where uh, these lower teams are now basically at that match they're going to throw their all at you because they know you're the you know you last year you were the cream of the crop orange county was up there with you guys so maybe that maybe has something to do with why our teams are struggling is we're getting the best out of out of the opponents where maybe last year the opponents might have looked past a little bit because we you know hadn't gotten to that point yet at least you know at least on our end maybe that's something that's that's going on so do you guys have any other questions? Why is the Western Conference so painful? <laughs> How do I enjoy soccer again? <laughs> it, that's a great that's a great point because you would think that like you look at the Eastern Conference and there are like a bunch of teams you can just ha ha they suck. Those are going to be easy wins. 
Um, <laughs> well, they have definitely just been easy wins. Oh, why can't they be on the in the West? Yeah, we I have mean, those teams in the West. They're called Vegas and RGV. And Tacoma. Vegas is not that team though at home. On the you know if you're hosting them, sure, but oh, in yeah. their own building, that's not an easy win. That's just because that's a hard place to play away. It's a bad field, and their fans are scary, crazy in like the wrong way. Like, let's have a foam party, or I'm gonna run around on a field and try and pick up dollar bills that have been thrown from a helicopter. Crazy. Or let's uh, let's go to the dispensary and uh, munch up on some edibles and then get a limo to the match. <laughs> Free shuttle. I'm, I'm not even gonna doubt that's a thing that's happened. That's a that's a I'm thing. Sure. They have a they have a cannabis partner and they have a shuttle to the match. That's awesome. I could not do that. Oh my God. <laughs> I honestly don't. I can't. I would be sleeping. Like everyone I know would be sleeping if that were the case. I don't know. Um, but yeah, but the Western Conference isn't like that. And the teams that we thought would be down the dumps, Los Dos is actually winning matches and they're playing very well at home. Um, RGV, they looked bad at the beginning, but lately they've pulled it together and suddenly they look like a powerhouse the last few Tulsa. weeks. No one is bad. Like, even El Paso can string together some matches, and so every week just becomes a struggle. So I feel what you guys are saying. Like, it does, it is more of a grind than definitely last year. Now, at some point, things have to stabilize, things have to write themselves out. This can't keep up for the whole season. But I'm with you. This is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's been, it's it's yeah. It's I don't not know, even I, fun if you're neutral. Because <laughs> like, honestly, it's you'd expect like at least it's an exciting match, but it feels like every time that there's some like giant killing, it's not so much exciting as it's just like embarrassing or frustrating or like a poor performance, and then like the worst team ekes out like an early goal and then gets one and at the end of the match too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you guys would get that against Austin. They scored against you and then just parked the bus. Well, that, that game was bullshit. We're not even well, going to go there. <laughs> well, no, I, I wanted to ask, did, did any of you guys go to that match? Stupid saves. That did you guys go to the match? And if you did, did you bring like a goat or a duck to, to get a ticket to get into that match? Or how did that work? Uh, I think we had a few supporters that were there. I definitely was not one of them. Um, Fun thing though, our local broadcast cut out in the middle of stoppage time. Nice, that was awesome. For like the the nightly news or something? No, for Riverdale, it was the CW. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never been so glad not to have any sort of is that connection for that before? What, we lose it that? for like PBS. What was that famous uh, football match? It was like the Raiders or something like that, where it cut off and for like Heidi. Heidi. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh man, yeah, that that has to be horrible in stoppage time. You know, let's put Riverdale on because, in fairness, like they gave a good apology and everything's cool. They said that's <laughs> not going to happen again, but uh, but yeah, like a very frustrating match. Like moments after Junior Fleming's shot almost goes in, and there's a corner, and <laughs> we're cutting right to Riverdale. It's like the scene in Amelie where she's playing with the cable line. Was it at least a good episode of Riverdale that you had to watch? <laughs> Screw that. I'm not watching that. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone went straight to Twitter at that point and was pissed. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, can we talk about something else? I really <laughs> I really don't. I, I really don't want to go there. Um, the weather in Orange County will be great this weekend. 
Oh. I actually, I'm going to have to look it up. Um, I haven't, but, you know, it's always nice here. Well, Ooh, 69 for, on, on Saturday. That would be great. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't think Ray knows what's happening right now, but. Well, I was going to say, last year, beginning of the season, it was like a cold, rainy day, but. Yeah. yeah with, like, rain in, like, the, the 70th minute or 75th minute, most of the fans left the stadium because Californians can't stand the rain. Can't stand anything that was, that's, like, remotely an inconvenience. Let's be realistic. That was really fun, that match. Uh, oh, it was. was there. What was funny, I was there, I was sitting on the on the bleachers at the end of the, the goal line there, and I'm looking out, and you could see, like, on the lights, I saw rain start falling down on the other side of the field, and I'm looking, I'm like, what is the, all that water falling down? Is there, like, a sprinkler that went crazy over there? And then all of a sudden, it just hit where we are, like, 30 seconds later, and everyone's just getting up and running for cover. <laughs> Yeah, you don't see that kind of rain too often in, in SoCal. It's more gentle most of the time, but not that night. Um, what are your predictions for this match? I'll let you go first, Dylan. Um, oh, man. Ooh, nil-nil, honestly. Um, Phoenix has been, and this is no disrespect to your team, but super inconsistent as we have... And I honestly don't know if the the mental thing of Orange County needing to get revenge on you guys or um, the Phoenix players trying to to get a little bit more out of Orange County um, is going to be enough for a result. I think it's going to be one of those matches that's back and forth until that final third, and then it, it'll just kind of fizzle out a whole bunch. That is, that is interesting. Um there's another prediction to be had before I go. Um, but wow, that is not how I see it going. <laughs> nil, nil. Well, I'm being optimistic. <laughs> go ahead, Ray. Is Ray talking, but he's muted himself? Is that what's happened? It, it sounds yeah, like I, ha- I had myself oh. muted. I Boom, had my- called it. You called it. Um, man, that's, this is a tough one. I, I'll, uh, do I go with my heart? Do I go with my brain? Or I just do like reverse psychology to try and pull something off because I don't think I've been accurate on any prediction so far this season. So maybe it's one of those things I need to just say Phoenix is going to win just so that it makes the opposite happen or at least a draw. Um, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go two one orange County. I, I, I still have faith in this team. I think they can pull it off. Uh, I'm I'm am hoping now that Harry Forster Jerry von Wolf games uh, scored some goals. They're gonna you know get one one of those two will get a goal this match and maybe a Michael Seaton or Darwin Jones goal out of it. I'm gonna go two win Orange County. Hopefully, uh, I'm right this time. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, not say zero zero, but we haven't been that great on the road this season, and I feel like this is. There's going to be a lot of drama in this match. I definitely see there being goals in this match. I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Um, I don't know which, like, 2-2, two, two, but you guys probably will take the lead. Because I feel like if we get ahead, we can actually do a pretty decent job holding on to a lead. Especially if it's a multi-goal lead. Like, you know, you guys came back against New Mexico. If you guys fall behind 2-0 on us, that's now that our defense is sorted, you're not coming back. Now, if it's 1-0 or 2-1 or something, you could get a late equalizer. I can see that. Um, and I think 
it is going to be that kind of match where it's on a knife's edge. Um, both teams have been a little bit inconsistent, and it just it feels right to say that it's going to be a draw because that's basically how 70% of our matches go. So I'm sticking to that. Interesting. Um, should we remind your listeners about our little bet we have going on for the, the season? Or do you even remember about it? I think I'm going to need a refresher right here. <laughs> so it's we're the right doing podcast, right? Are you sure you're in the right podcast? I'm in the right podcast. Yeah, I called it out uh, on Twitter before the season even started. Uh, basically, the whoever in the head-to-head matchups comes out with more points, the other podcast gets to take over the opposing team's podcast for an episode. Oh, you must have made this deal with Aaron. Whoever it was on your Twitter accepted this bet. I'll have to look up our, our tweet back and forth. It's, it's an aggregate, so it's the two games. Whoever whoever you know wins you know the match. What? I feel two. good. I I will double down. I feel good about this. I'm I'm on it. Let's do Are it. Are you gonna double? Do you want to double down and uh, bet uh, your head of hair against Dylan's head of hair? Absolutely um. not. <laughs> Trick question, Dylan's bald. <laughs> no, I've actually got a nice... Not yet, not yet. It's, it's almost long enough to become a ponytail at this point, so... He has um, a chance of becoming bold, uh, bald, though, uh, when we have our rematch against Reno in June, July. It's July. Who are we kidding? That's going to be another draw. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we're looking forward to taking over the Rising One as One podcast. I'm sure your listeners will be excited to, to listen to us for a full episode at some point at the end of the season. Well, uh, I mean, I really, I can't wait to get on there and talk some smack. I'll throw in a, a few Los Dos barbs, too, so it's a little bit fun. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of jokes on Vegas' expense, too, because there are some common enemies we can get behind. But uh, Everyone else in the league. <laughs> I, it's I'm like the Yankees and the Dodgers, really. Like I feel, for the most part, like Dodger fans respect Yankee fans. Like there's a lot of history there, and there's a lot of like understanding. Like, oh, we're two really good teams. I feel like that's kind of Orange County and Phoenix. Everyone else, like they can piss off, really. Tulsa. Yeah, I mean, God, someone will figure out how to mark that kid, and they won't. They'll stop scoring. Don't even uh, get me started on Tulsa. Did you did you see on Twitter what the uh, what Atiba Harris of OKC um, said about? A player on Tulsa? I did. And that, uh, God, I mean, that's N-word. what you expect out of Oklahoma, right? <sighs> Still like 1955 there. I have a whole bunch of family there. My, uh, I have a niece that's getting married in uh, in Oklahoma. Um, but this game's happening, so I, I, can't, I can't make it to that wedding. <laughs> so that should show you what I feel about Oklahoma. <laughs> there Priorities we go. Priorities are right in order. <laughs> Life of a soccer fan. Um, well, I think that's all I got. Um, thank you guys for coming on and hopefully Aaron Blau will make it onto your guys' show when you guys record in a couple days. Yeah. If he, if he does make it on, uh, I guess, follow your Twitter, follow our Twitter. Uh, we actually do a live broadcast as we record and you get to, I mean, we don't do any editing or anything like that. So you can either listen to us live Tuesday night, eight 30. Uh, he, even if he doesn't join, you can listen to us and hear what we have to say about the match. Uh, and then you can tweet at Ray and complain about it. Yes, yes. You know, Ghost of Rooney or whatever your name is. Complain all you want to me about what I have to say. Uh, and yeah, so if if he joins us or if not, you can listen to us live Tuesday evening on our YouTube uh, page. 
8.30. And uh, if not, you can listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts uh, the next day. Well, that sounds great, and I will definitely be on the lookout for it. Um, thank you guys for coming on, getting hashtag Orange County Hate Week started right, and uh, it'll be a fun one next Saturday. I, I hope so. <laughs> looking forward to it and looking forward to uh, an awesome night for Orange County fans. Not looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Risings One podcast. And thanks also to our sponsor, Golden Gold Full Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for you or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And until we meet again next week, I'm your host, Aaron Blau, Uprising.